Think on your feet for our Fast and Curious 5K, a -a one-of-a-kind race hosted by WBEZ and the Chicago Sun-Times on Saturday, July 27th at Humboldt Park. More info and early bird registration at wbez.org slash events. Hi, I'm Jen White, and this is Reset. Since the COVID-19 pandemic began sweeping the globe in early February, financial markets have been bouncing around wildly, but are mostly down. Today, the major indices in the U.S. are down sharply as oil prices continue to drop to levels never seen before. Yesterday, a barrel of oil in the U.S. dropped below zero. Prices dropped so low, some traders had to pay buyers to take barrels off their hands. So what does this historic drop mean, and what will it mean for the larger economy? Antonia Yuhas is an investigative journalist. She specializes in the oil market, and she's author of Black Tide, The Devastating Impact of the Gulf Oil Spill. Antonia, welcome to Reset. Hi, Jen. Thanks for having me. So the demand for oil is is part of what's at work, but give us a broader understanding of what's happening here. Yeah, so basically we're seeing an oil market that was already in deep crisis pushed way over the edge as a result of the coronavirus pandemic. So what was already happening uh, in the U.S. market and globally was that oil producers have been making a product that the world wants less and less of, but they're producing more and more of it. So there has been a surplus, a glut in oil production for some time. There has also been companies that because they're producing this product, that the price for which has already been going down, the demand for which was already going down, that in the U.S. in particular, there are many companies in serious debt. Um, The U.S. fracking industry prior to the coronavirus hitting was $200 billion in debt prior to this event happening. You've already got too much supply. You've already got debt. You've already got an industry in trouble. And then COVID-19 hits. And what that has meant is just a crashing of demand for oil domestically and globally. And that has meant that what was already a glut of oil, which we already had, now means that the world is awash in oil. There's too much production. Global oil producers still haven't really slowed down production And there's so much production and so little demand that now there's nowhere to put it. So storage tanks are filling up. There already was a phenomenon that had been underway, which is oil being put into tankers that just sort of float around the world. The oil is put there by traders, basically sticking the oil out to sea and waiting to bring it back until they can make more money uh, trading on it. Um, And one of the people actually who's made a great deal of money doing this and may still be making money at this is the Trump administration Commerce Secretary Wilbur Ross, who has been heavily invested in companies who do this. They they are tanker companies that ship oil around for traders. Um, But basically, there's nowhere to put the oil. The tankers are filling up. The tanks are filling up. And what happened yesterday uh, and today is that contracts that um, traders sell, about a quarter of which actually result in the physical trade of oil, those contracts came due. And the traders had to dump those trades. 
and they had to try and sell off this physical oil that nobody wanted and there was nowhere to put it. So instead of making money, the contracts went down to zero. As you said, they were actually paying buyers to take the oil. So oil went down in Texas to negative $40 a barrel uh, adjusted for inflation, the lowest price that oil's ever traded for at least 100 years. How much does a barrel of oil typically cost? Well, it's a great question and not one that anyone should reasonably be able to answer because for the last about 20 years, volatility has defined the global oil market. And there's a lot of reasons for that, but I would say the most important one was in the year 2000, the United States essentially deregulated how these trades take place for oil contracts. It's now an incredibly dark, untransparent, speculative market and has been for about 20 years. And the first result of that we saw back in 2008 when the price of oil went up to $150 a barrel. And I would say that that helped instigate the global financial crisis because consumers who buy oil, consumer countries couldn't afford it anymore. Now we're seeing the opposite end of that spectrum. Oil is crashing down uh, greater than it's ever fallen before. And that is going to make it incredibly difficult for producers, including producer countries, to you know make money off of oil. And unless we do something pretty drastic, uh, it could make the what's already being called the COVID crash, the, the global economic crash that's already underway because of the COVID crisis, even greater because of the crash in oil. It's unprecedented, certainly, but to another degree, it is somewhat predictable. As I said, you know, this has been a wild ride with oil for the past 20 years. And really, this has been a product that the world in general is really interested in getting off of for a lot of reasons, one of which is most certainly because of climate change. And so what you've got is a world that is um, propping up an industry that really should be being allowed to die and should have been allowed to die a while ago. But in the U.S., you know, we subsidize the oil and gas industry, uh, billions, depending on how you calculate it, trillions of dollars worth of subsidies. And it's being propped up when it's basically a product that just isn't in demand. And now that demand has, has entirely crashed. So I would say um, it's certainly unprecedented, but shouldn't have been entirely unpredictable. Well, President Trump tweeted this morning that there will be a bailout for the oil industry. And while we know tweets are not policy, what could a bailout look like for this industry if it actually goes through? It's certainly been looking like it was going to head this direction, especially when the airline industry bailout happened. Uh, and the airline industry is being paid to continue flying its normal routes when there is a 96 percent drop in passengers but they're being paid to keep flying. And I think one of the reasons why they're being paid to keep flying as much as they had been in the before coronavirus is to consume uh, jet fuel, which helps supports the oil and gas industry. Uh, you know, I think it'll probably be loans. It may be, or grants. It could even be grants. It could just be direct payouts to the industry. It could also be the industry seems to be asking for, remember how I mentioned at the beginning, those $200 billion in debt facing U.S. fracking companies? Uh, I think the federal government may buy that debt, which means helping both the 
banks and the oil companies. And again, it just means propping up companies that were already producing too much of a product that people didn't want. Instead, this is happening among workers, not necessarily among oil companies, calls for supporting workers being able to train to fully transition right now out of the oil industry and into green energy jobs. And it seems like such a better opportunity right now to support those workers in that transition rather than continuing to bail out an industry that was already underwater before this crisis hit. Antonia, I want to talk about risk and and reward. As you said, this could have an impact on the economy, which is already floundering. Is there any potential benefit to propping up the oil industry and in a way that it could actually help stabilize what's happening right now? I think the better way to stabilize the global economy, because as I said, I do believe the risk to the global economy is great if the global oil industry um, continues this downward slide. And that is to use mechanisms that are already uh, available to us. So one is, for example, what I'm particularly concerned about is poor producing countries crashing. And for example, the International Monetary Fund has already started canceling debt for poor countries to help support them. And if they expanded that debt forgiveness process, then you would make sure that there isn't an economic floor that falls out of a lot of these poor countries and poor producing countries. The other mechanism that's already available to us is through the Paris Climate Accord, which has established a fund already that wealthy nations pay Uh, poorer nations to help transition, uh, essentially skip over the fossil fuel stage of development and really invest heavily in green, the green energy economy. And that mechanism should be tapped right now to fund an enormous amount of money to just help countries around the world afford to just keep their oil in the ground to stop producing and to start transitioning to green energy aggressively. And I think what that looks like in the United States is putting money in now to make sure that you don't have hundreds of thousands of workers go out of business, that we invest right now through models like uh, the Green New Deal to essentially um, help companies move to phase out their operations, uh, keep oil in the ground, because again, we have too much right now. We don't need more. And we also need to transition to a green economy. So use that money to support workers to transition rapidly uh, into green energy jobs and to help pay oil companies to keep oil in the ground, which is actually something that um, the Trump administration, governments across the United States are already considering to make sure that you don't have just a financial collapse of a very large sector of the U.S. economy, um, but you pay to move away from it, essentially. You help pay to, to move away from this industry altogether. And, and Tony, I think how, by, yeah. Well, yeah. how will the average consumer feel this, uh, this instability in, in the oil market? Well, so right now, gasoline prices are definitely uh, down across the country, but people aren't driving anywhere either. So I'm not sure that that benefit is helping anyone right now. And I'm not sure that it's going to be a long-term benefit because there is a floor to which the price of gasoline can only go so far. It's propped up by taxes. It's propped up by a minimum requirement that oil companies that are vertically integrated, so like Chevron, Exxon, Shell, BP, these big oil companies produce oil, they refine it, and they sell it at the gas station. And they're going to build in to make sure that their gasoline doesn't fall too far 
uh, below a floor that they need. I think for the short term, you'll see lower gas prices, but the long-term cost of that benefit is, is great because if we continue to, for example, direct billions of dollars to the oil industry, that's money that's not going to other places that need it right now. And if we continue to prop up this industry, the cost in public health is uh, vast and continues to be vast. And the cost of the climate is vast and very expensive and continues to be vast and expensive. So I think the short-term gain of the gasoline fall is outweighed by the broader uh, economic and social costs. So what questions do you, as someone who follows oil so closely, still have in terms of how all of this will play out? You know, it's impossible to know right now. This is a wild, crazy ride. And it's also one that Um, There are strong competing interests between, for example, oil producers in the United States. This isn't one blanket set of groups. You've got the small independent companies. You've got the big behemoths uh, like Exxon and Chevron. You've got the Trump administration, which is constantly, or Trump, who is constantly changing his position on everything, including how to engage on this crisis. And you have a global system that's also Uh, in havoc. And then you have the sort of biggest players, I think, in the room who'd get no attention, which is the traders and how they're going to behave. And if we will actually start regulating their behavior more closely so that we know what they're doing and why. I think the, the clearest thing that I know is that globally and across the United States, the strong desire to transition to green energy is vast and deep. And that if that momentum prevails, we should hopefully see greater stability more quickly because we'll be less dependent and reliant on this um, wily resource. That's Antonia Yuhas. She's an investigative journalist who specializes in the oil market. She's also author of Black Tide, The Devastating Impact of the Gulf Oil Spill. And she's also a Scripps Journalism Fellow at the University of Colorado in Boulder. Antonia, thanks for speaking with us. Thank you so much for having me. And that's today's Reset. We're glad you joined us today, and we hope you're staying inside and staying healthy. For up-to-date news and information you can trust on the COVID-19 crisis, tune to 91.5 or go to WBEZ.org. I'm Jen White. Thanks for listening, and let's talk again soon. Thanks for listening to the news live on WBEZ and NPR. The WBEZ stream sounds great in the kitchen on your smart speaker and anywhere on the WBEZ app. Listen every day.